It's time for JT the Brick. Receiver from the University of Colorado, number 21, Cliff Branch. We kick off the summer of Cliff Branch. Puckett drops back to pass. Steps up. He looks. Over the middle. He's got it. Touchdown Raiders! It's caught by Cliff Branch! The summer of Cliff. Cliff Branch. All summer long. JT the Brick. Prepare your phone call. I want Cliff content from you. Stabler plays fake back to pass. Gets a big rush out. He'll cut the man. Stabler's throwing deep for Branch. He's got it for 20. What separated Cliff was he was amazing, meticulous route runner. As we count down to Cliff, the summer of Cliff on the flagship. And now, here's JT the Brick. All right, we're back. Final hour of the week. JT here with you on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Everybody have a great weekend. It's kind of the last weekend before football as the Raiders will play next Thursday in Canton, Ohio, the Hall of Fame game against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and we'll be traveling out on Wednesday of next week. So Harry Ruiz will sit in for me that day. And then Thursday, I get a bucket list moment. I'll get a chance to host the pregame show from Canton, Ohio, in that booth. And they've redone the stadium. It's going to look unbelievable on TV. So I can't wait to be there, be in that booth for the Hall of Fame. Uh, We'll do the, I don't know, 90-minute pregame show, whatever it is. I forget from last year. We did so many of them on the way to the playoffs, by the way, at Allegiant Stadium. Now we kick off the season. We're better than Canton, Ohio. Richard Seymour, who played for the Raiders, but the great Cliff Branch. And I want to thank everybody who's helped us with the Summer of Cliff. Really proud of that accomplishment, and we're not done yet. Monday, we should have Fred Bolitnikoff on. Tuesday, I'm looking for another big guest and then, as I said, Wednesday we travel out, and that'll be a lot of fun once we get out there. A couple of points we'll get into next week. If you're going to Canton, there's going to be Raider booster clubs. There's going to be people holding parties and lobbies and bars and all of that. At the Hall of Fame, a lot of stuff is private unless you get a ticket to the gold jacket ceremony. The parade is open to the public. That's a great event to go to. And then in and around town, all these hotel lobbies and the ability just to walk around the footprint of the Hall of Fame where they treat you like an adult. They have a beer garden area. You can get ice-cold beer. It's usually hot and humid. And you can get an ice-cold beverage, hopefully Modelo, our proud partner here, and sit out in the sun. Might be some overcast days, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And I think it's going to be a sea of silver and black. I know I've been pushing this for a while, and I've been optimistic about this, but I know who's going. And I know some of the things that are happening back there. It is going to be really special. It's going to be fantastic to see Raider fans, not only with the game, the team is going to get a tour of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. There are going to be fans who go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's just great to be back there. And then the big moment for Cliff, as I believe he goes second to last on Saturday during the induction ceremony before we have Cliff's party, which is going to be a big one on Saturday night. So this week, as we take a look back before we look ahead, I got Mike Bagley, my NASCAR guy, coming up. We talk to him once a month. His time's coming up. And Vegas, remember, hosts a playoff race here in Vegas. We have a real playoff race in NASCAR, and a lot of wild stuff went down last week with two disqualifications. But I wanted to start off this hour by talking to Jason Horowitz, who came on with us, the new play-by-play voice of the Raiders. When I found out about this before the announcement, I was happy for him. I didn't know him well. Uh, I know a lot of people who knew him well. Uh, People who knew him at Syracuse, also people that knew him at CBS, where a couple of my buddies ended up and ended up working there. And then I know he had a great track record because a lot of people in the radio industry, including some of my former bosses and the ultimate boss, boss, Mark Davis, and everybody listened to his tape, 
got a chance to interview him, and he won out. And now he is the latest voice of the silver and black. That is a high honor in this franchise. It's a high honor for a lot of teams. But to be the voice of the Raiders is pretty special. We were the first to have him earlier in the week. Here's our conversation. It's our pleasure to welcome in the voice of the Raiders. Jason Horvitz is kind enough to join us, the new play-by-play voice. Jason, congratulations. Welcome to the Raider Nation. How does it feel today? It feels amazing. It really does, JT. And uh, by the way, I will 100% also wear uh, one of those beanies (laughs) on a regular basis. Uh, (laughs) so, So that doesn't have to just be Denzel. Absolutely. We got a lot of new Raider gear being delivered to you and your family. I want to get through a lot of questions here. I want to start off before we get to the process. Take us back to your youth, your passion for sports as a young boy. Before you got to Syracuse and Newhouse, where did it all begin for you? You know what's crazy is that, um, so my grandfather, when I was in kindergarten, I went to half-day kindergarten. Uh, So I grew up in Michigan, and I went to half-day kindergarten, and my grandfather would pick me up from the like kind of like enrichment program that I went to before the afternoons, And like once a week, he would take me to Toys R Us and we'd go and get, you remember starting lineups, those little figurines that if we never played with them, they'd be worth so much money. But I was five. So I played with them all the time. And the first one I ever got was, was Bo Jackson. And, you know, you grow up in Detroit and Barry Sanders comes and like, he was my favorite player as a kid for as a Lions perspective. But before that was Bo. And, like, Tecmo Bowl, I wanted to be Bo Jackson and Marcus Allen and all those guys. And, like, they were the greatest. And I really wish I still had that starting lineup figurine because I really think it would be special now. <laughs> Bo was, I have no idea where that one is. <laughs> uh, Bo and Marcus would love to hear that story. Jason Horowitz is kind enough to join us. He was just named the voice of the Raiders. So from high school into college, I went to Geneseo State University, Speechcom. You went to the big house at Syracuse. Tell me the decision to go to Syracuse. What happened there in the arc of your education and the beginning of becoming a broadcaster? I, um, I always knew I wanted to be a broadcaster. In fact, I, so I used to annoy the heck out of my older brother because we'd be playing Sega Genesis and I'd be announcing the games. He'd storm out every single time, like he couldn't handle it. <laughs> and so, like, I always wanted to go to Syracuse and, 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 you know, this path. And at first, there was some studio, and then I wanted to be a play-by-play. And, but the idea of, of, of being the voice of a team, I mean, it is such a special relationship that the voice of a team has with a fan base. And, and you know this, Raider Nation is as passionate as, as any fan base in any sport, and, and and, like, to get the opportunity to follow in the voices, because it's been such an historic, and there aren't many, but, but the, the history of the voices of the Raiders, they're storied and they're wonderful and they're phenomenal. And, and, and I'm just I'm so honored to, to get that opportunity to, to join those and, and, and get this opportunity to call this, this team and this franchise. And it really is a lifelong dream come true. Yeah, it is. It's a tremendous accomplishment. We all congratulate you. Jason Horvitz is kind enough to join us, the new voice of the Raiders. So let's jump into your career after college. You were very fortunate to go to New York. And I look at your background and your brief history, and you've had a really fast arc. And a lot of these companies I know, Westwood One, Sirius XM, I'm a member of that team, the work you've done at ESPNU, you really hit the ground running. So talk about the earliest opportunities you had in New York and how you knocked the door down. So um, it it all started. I, JT, do you remember a show probably seventeen, eighteen years ago called Dream Job? I don't know if you you remember that on. Yeah, ESPN? that was the ESPN reality type show, right? Yeah. yeah. So Mike Hall, who 
I'm actually in Indianapolis at Big Ten Media Day now, and Mike Hall uh, won season one. He works for Big Ten Network. And, and I was fortunate enough to audition and try out and make season two. And, and some things kind of developed from there. And, and when I graduated Syracuse, um, I got this opportunity to be the face of, at the time, CBSSportsLine.com. And I'm 22, and I go to New York, and, and they want to be the first television network to do video exclusively for the Internet. And, like, remember, it's 2005. Who, who watches TV on the Internet? And, like, I'm having these conversations. Do I do this? Do I, do I go to El Paso, which was an opportunity, or Shreveport? And I, like, I was, those were real conversations. But um, at the time, my girlfriend, now, now my wife, was moving to New York. She was working in advertising. I'm like, well, I mean, that part of this makes it a no-brainer. So I took the opportunity to, to, to be the face of a, of, a, of a website, and I've just been so lucky and fortunate since then. And, and Westwood One has been a, such a wonderful company to work for um, for the past 14 years as, as a studio host and play-by-play and um, the opportunity to have some of the biggest events. I mean, I, I, I've been the host of the NCAA tournament the last eight years, and um, they really have been wonderful, and, and SiriusXM is outstanding, and I, you know, this, this is just an amazing opportunity. Jason Horowitz is kind enough to join us. He is the new voice of the Silver and Black. He joins us on the flagship Raider Nation Radio. So Army football. I mean, being from New York, I'm a New Yorker, and knowing Army football and the tradition there, let's talk about your background in play-by-play football and the opportunities you've had with Army and other chances to call games. Yeah, so Army was this past year, and up until my first game there this past year, I had never been to West Point. Um, and if anyone ever gets the opportunity, I mean, that is absolutely a bucket list place to go right there on the Hudson. Um, but you want to talk about history and tradition. <laughs> uh, I mean, that is, that is basically everything that West Point is. And, and CBS, you know, trusted me with that package. It was something that was very important to them. And, and, and it was absolutely last year an honor for them to, you know, to take over that package. And the first game I did at Army was, September 11th last year was the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and the attacks. And, you know, you put all that into one on top of the fact that it is at Army uh, on that anniversary where you, you kind of can see the shadows of the Twin Towers and all that stuff. It, it really was a, an incredible responsibility, but, but such a cool venue. And, and that, that, that campus is just such an amazing place. Um, but, but I've so called Army last year in all of their home games, but I've had the opportunity to call uh, games for CBS Sports Network for the past uh, seven or eight years, and you know it's 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 been from a Division Two game of the week at Azusa Pacific mm-hmm. in uh, <laughs> uh, out there in California, where uh, uh, I believe if he still is or what he was at the time, uh, Christian Okoye was was the leading rusher um, to to this. Um, and it really is it really is a dream come true. It really is amazing. The play by play voice of the Raiders, Jason Horowitz, kind enough to join us. So let's get into the process here when this opportunity presented itself to you and your agent and not all the details, the fine details behind the scenes, but when you knew this could be an opportunity, your tapes out there, your names out there, you're thinking Mark Davis, the Raider Nation, Las Vegas. Walk me yeah. through that process when you realize this was an opportunity you could get. Well, you, I mean, you just hit on it, right? I mean, Al Davis and, and, and the history of, of the Raiders and, and, and his organization and what Mark Davis has now done as well. And, um, and, and when I got that phone call, I was, <laughs> truth be told, I was so excited that that weekend, JT, I, I went for a run. I was so excited that I actually fell over and have a, I mean, this is 
really embarrassing, actually. But I have a hairline fracture in my elbow. I was so excited. <laughs> so <laughs> I am so dedicated to this that that, that is what happened. But, um, no, when they called it, it was, it was one of those things that when, when you get an opportunity uh, like this and it presents itself, I think you realize just how special it is. Um, and, 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 you know, I knew what was in front of me, and I was, I was so excited to, A, get the call, uh, and B, go through that process and, you know, getting that job, uh, getting, getting the, the message that, that I had been selected as the voice of the Raiders. I mean, it's, that's something I'll never forget. Yeah, it's a true honor with the names that have been calling games before you. And you get a chance to work with Lincoln Kennedy, and Lincoln's been a great friend for many years, and Lincoln is fantastic yeah. from the work that he did on the sidelines and to get to the booth and one of the great Raider offensive linemen and, and someone who has so many reps and so much experience with multiple voices there. So the chemistry, I think it's going to happen really quick because when you work with Lincoln – and I have over the years, he makes you feel comfortable. What are some of the challenges for you as you turn around here and there's a game in Canton, Ohio coming up a week from Thursday? Yeah, it's, uh, well, I mean, first of all, Lincoln and I will get together and, and, and get to know each other a little bit. And, and that's as much as anything else. It's how, how crucial, you know, that chemistry is going to be. But I, I uh, from everything I've ever heard, including having him on as a guest a couple of times throughout shows throughout the years, I mean, he is just such a personable guy such a likable guy. You know, he's obviously a larger-than-life figure. Uh, I don't know how much you've seen me. I'm 5'11 and 165. <laughs> so that dichotomy is going to be pretty fun. Um, but, no, I think we're going to have a great time together. He's just got this big personality, um, and, and I can't wait to get to know him. Uh, tell us about your family. You mentioned your wife, your family, and what a typical day in your life is before this writer gig and how it's going to look after this. Yeah, so we have three kids. Uh, our daughter is going into fourth grade. Um, she'll be nine coming up in September. Our son uh, is, is five and a half, and um, we have a one-year-old uh, who is just so full of energy. Um, and they're super excited about this. My, my son is obsessed with, he's obsessed with logos. He's obsessed with mascots. Um, and, and his recent thing is he likes teams that have the color black in them i, I mm -hmm. you know there's obviously way before this and uh so w when i told him that hey i, I i'm going to take over as uh the voice of the silver and black he's like it's got black in it it's amazing <laughs> and he was so excited so um you know they're they're all pumped about it they they can't wait to you know start rooting for this team and, and being part of it and um you know we're really excited Jason Horowitz, kind enough to join us. How psyched to see the voice of the silver and black. Let's quickly get to the fans. These are the most notorious fans in professional sports, from the black hole to the fans that travel to the international fans. So moving to Vegas from Oakland, you know the history in L.A. This is a West Coast right. global hub for fans who are coming from all over the world. you got to be really proud of that, Jason, to represent on the radio this fan base. They live and die with this team. They have such yeah. deep history going back to their parents and their grandparents. How important is that connection to you and the fans? Oh, it's a hundred percent. I mean, look, it's 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 the most passionate fan base. It's a diverse fan base. It is all over the country, all over the world. Um, some of the biggest Raiders fans that I've ever come across are are here on the East Coast, and folks that I have worked with and have heard from so many of them uh, here in the last hour or so. And and that is that's everything you could ask for, right? I mean, we all want the opportunity to call these amazing games, 
But you also want to do it for, for fans that care as much as they do. And what a great, like, JT, what an awesome time to, to, to get an opportunity to take over for a team that's got so much potential, so much excitement behind it, all the players that are now there, you know, the excitement around you were talking about when you brought me in about Denzel Perriman and, and the beanie and what a year he had making the Pro Bowl and, you know, the trade for Devontae Adams and, like, the, the, like this just, it's such a great, time to come in and, and how excited uh, this fan base is because there is there's so much to be excited about and you know in the new city and all of that stuff so it really is um, something that I can't wait I, I can't wait for next Thursday <laughs> to be yeah. perfectly honest you know your first call in the preseason most likely won't be a Devontae Adams touchdown depending on what happens but how excited are you how excited are you to call the first card at Devontae Adams touchdown it's never happened before you're going to be the voice of that that's an amazing opportunity first of you know what what are hoping that it's many right yeah for not just this year but for years to come um no I can't wait and and you know I've, I've been watching the last you know few days the last couple of weeks all the press conferences and videos and things that Derek have said and, and, and Devante and, and, and how excited these guys are to get back together. And, you know, the connection that they have going all the way back to Fresno state and the more than 60 touchdowns, you know, they had together there. And um, it really is just, it, this has an opportunity to be truly special. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I really am honored. I know we keep saying that, but I really am honored to get this opportunity to be part of that. It's an opportunity of a lifetime. I can tell you, I speak for some. This is a family. This is a family, the Davis family, with deep, deep history around the league, going to Canton and the Hall of Fame, the tradition that is a special tradition, not only in the NFL but in professional sports. And you are part of the family now. We welcome you. We wish you the best. Welcome to the Raider Nation. Jason, if I can do anything to help and help you and your family get off to a quick start here, thanks so much for doing this, and enjoy it. Celebrate with your family tonight as the voice of the Raiders. Thanks, JT. I really appreciate it. So you can tell he was really pumped up, and that's the first time he's talked on any Raider affiliate. We got him here, and from looking at all the remarks and seeing the Raiders posted it out, uh, they put it on their podcast network and also posted it on Facebook. Really nice job by all Raider fans for welcoming him in. You might have a favorite Raider voice of the past. That's great. That's fantastic. They should still be your favorite Raider voice of the past. But this is a new member of the family. He's got a young family. Great opportunity for him. And it's just nice to see people, when their time comes, they have an opportunity to walk into that door and maybe have an opportunity of a lifetime. So we wish Jason well. I guess I'll meet him in the booth over in Canton, if not before. But wish him well and go to his Twitter page and give him a follow there. And we'll see what happens as he kicks off on Thursday with Lincoln Kennedy. Can't wait to see Lincoln again. Man, it's been a long off season for Lincoln as he's a great dad. And he's out in the desert in Arizona. And going to be good to catch up with him along the way, too. 702-365-9200. A quick reminder from 4 to 6 p.m. tonight. Right after the show, I'll clean up. And I'm heading down to Virgin Hotels. I'll be in the lobby hosting my first podcast series Pretty proud about that. Virgin came to me, asked me to do this, part of our partnership with the show, and I said, absolutely. So we're going to have different people all the time, from chefs to casino partners, sports book directors, athletes. And we got a pretty good lineup tonight, so 4 to 6 p.m. in the lobby of Virgin Hotels. If you're around the Strip, 
or if you want to make a, a point to come down, I'd love to shake your hand. See you there. Have a beverage with you. We'll be right off the main lobby from 4 to 6 p.m. And that'll be how I wrap up my Friday here. When we come back, Mike Bagley will join me. For a great NASCAR reporter in the pits. Also a host of big NASCAR radio show. Get an update on the standings and countdown to Vegas, where Vegas will have at the Vegas Motor Speedway one of the biggest races of the entire year in the playoffs. JT, Raider Nation Radio Friday, right here on the flagship. JT, thanks for coming back here on Friday, Raider Nation Radio. 9.20 a.m., we're brought to you by Doghouse Saloon. That's the home of Resorts World. Whenever you go into Resorts World, you'll see Doghouse. You can't miss it. It's a giant sports bar with music and the sports books there. It's right next to their famed theater. Where I think Katy Perry's playing over the weekend. I saw Journey in the orchestra two weeks ago, man. Beautiful theater. A lot happening there. Thanks to Resorts World for our partnership. Now, every month I talk NASCAR with Mike Bagley. He falls in today on a Friday, and I appreciate him coming in from MRN, also Sirius XM, NASCAR Radio, and a dear friend. Mike, let's jump in. Last week was wild. Two disqualifications. Uh, Denny Hamlin, a big name. And when we look at one of the Bush brothers going down and Joe Gibbs racing gets caught for this, how historic is this? How rare that this happens to two drivers on the same team? Well, the last time it happened was in 1960 when the winner got disqualified. It has never happened in the 74 history of this sport that the first and second place finishers have disqualified, and the third place finisher assumed the win without even leading a lap. So what happened over the weekend at Pocono was unprecedented with the two drivers that were first across the start-finish line having their win and having their runner-up finish taken away. Well, if this happens in thoroughbred horse racing, Bob Baffert suspended. It's a big deal. And people make a much bigger deal than it is in NASCAR when it could be an honest mistake or a mistake that could happen to any crew chief. What happened here? Explain it to our listeners on why two go out on the same team. Well, according to Joe Gibbs Racing, there was a mistake made back at the shop. You have these cars that are put together. And when they put them together, there were a couple of pieces of tape that were put in certain portions of the nose of the car. Then they put a vinyl wrap over the car. That's what creates the logos that you see. In mm -hmm. Denny's case, the FedEx logo. In Kyle's case, the M&M's logo. Well, when that car is pushed through pre-race inspection, they don't pull the wrap back and check it up. They do the more thorough technical inspection at the end of the race, which involves pulling that wrap back, and that's where these pieces of tape were discovered. At the beginning of the year, NASCAR told everybody, you will not mess with anything, you will not put anything on the car that is not otherwise permissible in the rule book. Not even that piece of tape or those pieces of tape that were found were permitted to be there, and that's when NASCAR responded with, the win doesn't count. The second place doesn't count. We're going to toss that out. And instead of reaping the benefits of the win in the second, they reaped the benefits of a one-point performance and a two-point performance, Kyle getting one, Denny getting two. It was almost like they weren't even there. So basically what they did Sunday over the course of 400 miles was vacated with this post-race technical inspection. 
How big of a technicality is it? I mean, compared to what we would see with other issues with the car and when it, when it happens, when it comes to, you know, the air flowing from the front of the car to the back of the car, how big of a deal is this where how many other drivers have might have gotten away with it in the past until these two drivers go down, Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch? Well, that remains to be seen. Uh, mm-hmm. I had a chance to catch up with him. The channel had a chance to catch up with NASCAR senior VP of competition, Scott Miller. And we asked the question, like, what is the aerodynamic advantage for this being on the car? And, and NASCAR said, we don't test for cheating, basically. And I'm paraphrasing the response. Mm-hmm. They don't focus time in testing on what kind of an advantage would be if someone did this or did that. Put tape here, put that there. They only inspect on and create rules around the actual performance of the car, not the what is down the line. So that remains to be seen what the advantage could have been. But by doing what they did, that's a direct violation of the rule that basically says don't touch these nose pieces. Don't touch these parts and pieces. You cannot put anything on them. It may sound like a technicality, but when the sanctioning body says, here are the noses that you can use, nothing is to be on them. And then when they found that, that's a violation. And they're not dealing with it. They're trying to send a message. Don't mess with these race cars. And I believe that message got across loud and clear after what they did to Hamlin and Bush on Sunday. Mike Bagley is our guest. Financially, the number here, how much money was lost by Joe Gibbs Racing? Mm, I don't have the purse number in front of me, but Mm. I would say tens of thousands, maybe $100,000 or so, depending on what that purse was and what those takes were. But it's hard, or what the takeaway was, I should say. But it's hard to indicate what that could cost them down the line by not having this win credit. It could potentially mean that Denny doesn't advance to run for a championship or Kyle doesn't Mm -hmm. advance to run for a championship. It could also mean that they don't win the championship itself, which is worth millions. So on the short term, there's a minimal financial impact, whereas on a longer term, there could be a tremendous impact depending on how this goes. So that's that's really significant. I'm happy you, you, you summed it up that way. This could affect the overall championship, and it helps Chase Elliott, who gets another win, his fourth win of the year, as he's the only driver with over 700 points at 787. It does, and you're talking about being at the right place at the right time. You're also talking about Chase Elliott, who has finished first or second in the last four races coming into Pocono. So now he gets three wins in the last four in, or in the last five, I should say, and that team is slowly starting to gain momentum. If you're a Chase Elliott fan, life is good. If you're not, you're dreading what's about to happen because it seems like that the nine has wiped the sleep out of their eyes. They have woke mm-hmm. up, and they are in charge of this thing right now, obviously, as we sit with a lot of racing left to go here in the season. Hey, Mike, tell me about Christopher Bell in our audience. He has 12 top tens. One win, uh, three poles. Overall, tell us about this driver. A lot of us haven't known much about him and how he's coming on. Christopher Bell is known as an open-wheel racer, sprint car racer from Norman, Oklahoma, and he is one of the four Joe Gibbs Racing drivers. So he's teammates to Denny Hamlin. He's teammates to Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. And he got that win a couple of weeks ago at New Hampshire. It locked him into the playoffs collectively they've had up and down performance. It's like they're one of many teams that's having a difficult time hitting their stride. And what I mean by that is turning in more of a consistent performance. 
you know, they may finish seventh here, eighth there, but they'll back it up with a 21st or a 22nd. They'll be 11th, and they'll be 18th, and they'll be 5th, and they'll be 17th. They've been all over the board. They have been, and, and that's of, to no fault of their own, because everybody this year has had a hard time getting consistency and a hard time being a consistent presence in victory lane. It's not until recently that Chase Elliott has been able to hit his stride. C. Bell is trying to hit his. Oh, lost everybody him. else is trying to hit his. We've got five races to go before the playoffs begin, and everybody's just trying to get themselves sorted out to make this a, the most potent playoff run they can possibly make. C. Bell has the opportunity to do it, but I think they have more work to do before they can be that consistent presence week in and week out leading into, and then obviously in the playoffs once they begin Labor Day weekend at Darlington, South Carolina. Wrapping it up with Bagman. Follow him at the Mike Bagley, B-A-G-L-E-Y. So tell me about the next two races, Indianapolis Road Course and then at Michigan. Michigan International Speedway here, the 31st of July, and then we go into August 7th. Who do you like? Who's driving? Tell me the difficulties and the difference coming out of Pocono with these two upcoming tracks. Well, to start, Indianapolis this weekend, we used to race on the traditional oval, which is what the Indianapolis 500 is raced on. Last year, the race was moved to the road course portion of Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and I thought last year was a very chaotic race. It produced a lot of unknowns. And it produced A.J. Allmendinger for College Racing getting the win after, you know, Denny Hamlin getting tangled up with Chase Briscoe. Last year's race also featured a lot of accidents due to some pieces of the racetrack that weren't necessarily to the driver's liking. Uh, they had these rumble strips that were positioned off the racetrack that drivers, when they ran over them, would tear up the race cars. That has been taken care of. That has been addressed. And now we come back to Indy with a brand-new race car. We're still learning this race car on certain venues, and the Indy Road Course will be one of them. Just like next week, or the following week, I should say, when we go to Michigan, which is a very fast two-mile racetrack. It's very wide. It's known for its speed. It's known for its flared-out racing when the cars go in the corner. You can get three, four, five, six wide if you want to. We've not been there with this race car either. But the Michigan race is held in the backyard of Ford and Chevrolet. Toyota's headquarters are out in California, where Chevrolet and Ford are headquartered in Michigan, right down the road there from Brooklyn, where we'll race one week from Sunday. There's a lot of pride that's taken in winning at Michigan. And as Mm -hmm. far as the favorite, I begin and end with Chase Elliott until I'm proven otherwise. He's the only one to emerge out of the pack and to be that consistent presence in the top five week in and week out for the last five. So unless something happens and something goes haywire, I think Chase Elliott's going to be your guy here until further notice. Hey, Mike, last one. What about your schedule and what happens when you get off a race? You go home, you pack your bags, you do the laundry, you see the family, and then you get out on the road again. I mean, you're in the, you're in the dog days, I would assume, right now. We're not even in the playoffs, and I'm looking at the travel that you had from New Hampshire, Pocono, now Indy, Michigan, Richmond, Watkins Glen in New York, then Daytona. Before the playoffs, where are you personally in the dog days? Well, we are we are in the thick of it. We are in the heat mm-hmm. of battle. My schedule is when I get done with the race broadcast on the weekend, I come back home, and then I co-host the morning drive on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio, do that, and then Thursday, uh, basically load the suitcase up again, fly out for another race, come back Monday, unzip, dump everything out, wash it, put it back in, and then travel back out on Thursday. So I'm home about two, two and a half days a week. And this is the stretch. I mean, 
I'm just a radio guy calling the races. These mm-hmm. teams and these drivers, they've got a much harder. They've got all the preparation to do. We are in, we are in the dog days, as you call it, and we are clicking them off one after another. I can't believe that we're closing in on the month of uh, August already. It's been a very fast racing year. It's a long one. Lots of racing left to go, and we'll do this, and we'll keep this schedule all the way until the first weekend of November when we crown the champion in Phoenix. It's a labor of love, but it's just that, something that we love to do, and we can't wait to get to the racetrack every week. Yeah, I was going to say you wouldn't have it any other way. Mike, thanks for doing this, man. Good to talk to you. We'll talk to you before the playoffs. Always appreciate your time. You know that. My pleasure, JT. Take care. Appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. As uh, NASCAR rolls in to Indianapolis, then Michigan, and then when it bounces in here to Vegas, it's going to be huge. That's going to be a big one because now you have the reason to go out to the Las Vegas Motor Speedway twice to see real NASCAR races, but now to get a playoff race, which could decide the championship. That's the largest sporting event in Vegas, everybody. Bigger than any Raider game, bigger than any football game, national championship soccer game. The attendance at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway is the biggest sporting event, and it will remain that way in Southern Nevada for years to come. They fit a lot of people out there. Jeff Motley, the entire team out there, does a great job. When we come back, we'll wrap it up with some headlines today, uh, more about what we're doing with Cliff Branch. Next week, the countdown to Cliff and Canton. It's here. We got through the summer. Next summer, we're going to do hopefully something else a little bit different because Lester Hayes didn't get in. And that deeply disappoints me that he didn't become a finalist for the seniors. But we're going to get Lester in and then start the push for the other Raider legends. JT, Raider Nation Radio. Be safe and enjoy Friday happy hour. Join me at Virgin Hotels, 4 to 6 p.m. tonight. JT, as we wrap up the week here, on our way to Canton. Thanks for listening to Raider Nation Radio. How about that rain last night? Everybody, did you get stuck in the rain? Were you around the rain? All the videos from Las Vegas locally, a plug in Vital Vegas. Last night, I had my neighbor, my next-door neighbor, who is big Raider Nation. We were sitting in the backyard and uh, had a beverage and... It was pouring rain, which is rare. Like I said, it never rains here. So we got we caught a couple of days of rain for a short period of time. And then our phones were blowing up as we were looking at what was going on at Circa with the water getting inside some of the properties downtown. The Fremont Street experience, whatever happens under the link, right? The, the biggest flood zone I've ever seen in my life is right where the link is. Right there, that sea, you can take a raft and go around and around and do a 360 down there. It's crazy there, but pretty serious. Pretty serious to see what went down last night. So thanks to the emergency workers, all the people out there working the roads, the security. You got to think of these people that have these jobs where they get called into harm's way and got to save lives and save these cars that are getting sucked in to these flood areas. Incredible, man. Uh, Hats off to everybody who does that? Our emergency workers, our police, sheriff, uh, the ambulances, everybody out there because it's serious. Watching the local news this morning before the show, last night was a wild night in Vegas, and it's just incredible how it just rains in certain spots. Certain areas doesn't get much. Other spots like downtown, that was absolutely wild to see. 
All right, a couple of points before I head on out to Virgin Hotels. Again, if you can make it out from 4 to 6 p.m., we'll be in the lobby there at Virgin Hotels Las Vegas. If you haven't been there, it's my hangout. It's where I've been hanging out for decades when it used to be the Hard Rock. Now it's Virgin. They're opening up a whole different group of concept bars, restaurants, and we're going to be talking about it today. So if you have no plans and you want to hang out, uh, come on down there. Catch me in the lobby from 4 to 6 p.m. A couple of sound bites I want to play that were important about some of the deals that went down. First off, when we come to the Mike Garofola from NFL Network on DK Metcalf's deal. So he gets three years, $72 million. This is a great extension. Let me tell you why before we play the soundbite for a couple of reasons. They don't have Russell Wilson. They're definitely looking to rebuild in some era because they didn't go after Baker Mayfield. Seems like they're waiting to next year. So as Adam Schefter and Garofola reported, Metcalf on a three-year, $72 million extension, $58.2 million guaranteed. The deal includes $30 million in a signing bonus. That's the highest ever for a wide receiver. Highest ever signing bonus now. I don't know exactly what Devontae got for his signing bonus, but he's got that massive contract. And Metcalf will be a free agent again at 27 years old. So here's Mike Garofola reporting this on NFL Network. The Seahawks and DK Metcalf ending his hold in. He had showed up to camp, but he wasn't participating while he waited for his deal. Wait no more, DK Metcalf. Three years, $72 million with $58.2 million in total guarantees. Gets a $30 million signing bonus, as you see on your screen right there. That is the highest ever for a wide receiver. This is a really good deal. It's it's really hard to compare wide receiver deals right now because some of them are front-loaded, others are back-loaded. This is right up there, though. On a three-year average per year, this is higher than Devontae Adams, higher than a couple other deals except maybe Tyreek Hill. That is the one that really continues to be the benchmark. But DK Metcalf gets paid after some folks said, well, wait a second, are the Seahawks going to trade this guy back in the spring now that they've already traded away Russell Wilson? And, and we were told all along, we'll listen to offers, the Seahawks will, but this is not a guy that we're looking to get rid of. We want him to be a part of our future. Well, he will be at least for the next couple of years. Gets another bite at another contract in a couple of years before he turns 30. So that is key. So a really good deal for DK Metcalf and a, a lesson from the Seahawks to their locker room that they still do value key players and they want to keep as many in this core as possible, just not Russell Wilson. So when you, when you think about that deal and what just went down, everybody, I'm bringing it up today on the Raiders flagship because this is something that Darren Waller probably expects. Darren Waller is probably expecting, and he should, a contract extension. I have a theory, working for the team, I don't get involved in any, anyone's money, from Derek Carr to Darren Waller to Hunter Renfro to my good friend Mad Max Crosby, who I saw the other day and spent some time with him at practice. Whatever these guys can get, I wish him nothing but the best, but... The other young players that were holding out or threatening to hold out, Kyler Murray showed up at camp, and they dropped that clause, by the way. How about that? They dropped the Kyler Murray studying four hours a week clause because it made him so uncomfortable. This week, that was the biggest topic in the NFL. How uncomfortable could you make Kyler Murray? So now we have Debo Samuel up in San Francisco and DK Metcalf, who was not going to practice. He was not going to practice at all was going to stay away from practicing, but he showed up there at camp. And he showed up and they got a deal done. So what is the message? Well, Darren Waller is looking for a deal. He's out at practice. His attendance is amazing. Will that help him get a deal or not? 
So I think it's encouraging for Darren. I think it's encouraging for a lot of the players. But as we talk about this with the NFL, with Kevin Durant requesting a trade, as he has four years under contract, the big thing now in the NFL is not the extension for the veteran player. If you're a veteran player, especially a quarterback, you're going to get paid. It's just a matter of when. But it's the younger players who did not exceed their rookie contract yet, and they're looking for their rookie contract extension. They're looking for their second big contract. If you're a great player, your rookie contract's pretty good. But if you exceed that, like Josh Allen and DK Metcalf and some of these younger guys, you want to get paid now. You don't want to wait another year. Josh Jacobs is an example of a guy who is going to have to play out the final year of his rookie contract. The Raiders did not give him an extension. And he seems to be playing great, in a great mood, busting his ass, because he knows he's playing for his next contract. That could be here with the Raiders and Dave Ziegler if they want to reward him and give him one, or if he ends up going to another team as a free agent, if that's a good fit for him. But the fact that these contracts are so important for young players that they're either threatening to hold out, I think this is a pretty good offseason. Now the big contract left is Lamar Jackson, which is going to be a monster. And that should be probably the highest paid quarterback of all time. It should be more than Deshaun Watson because of Watson's poor behavior. And it should be more than Patrick Mahomes, who signed his a couple of years ago. Aaron Rodgers is a short-term extension at $50 million a year. I don't think Lamar Jackson deserves that much, but over the length of time. And then Justin Herbert, as we know here in the AFC West, the Chargers are never letting Herbert go, and they're going to offer him the moon early to stay there. All right, one other big piece of information that's also Raiders-related is an injury in Tampa to a very good offensive lineman. And when an injury happens this time of year, if you got Tom Brady, the good thing is if you have Tom Brady, you can go out and Brady can recruit anybody else in the league and go find someone who's great. Most teams, as they're looking for an offensive lineman, including the Raiders if they are, at this point in the year, have to pick and choose who they're going to get. Is it a fit? Is it a match? You don't need that for Tom Brady. Tom Brady just wants the best player available, and it seems like right now it's a big deal. As Ian Rappaport talks about the injury to Buck center Ryan Jensen, the knee and the fear is he's going to be out for the entire year. Hard to overstate the importance of Ryan Jensen, the bodyguard for Tom Brady and really one of the most valuable and important offensive linemen, I might say, in all of the NFL just based on where he is and the position he plays. The update is not a good one. Sources say that the fear for Ryan Jensen is that he has suffered a season-ending knee injury, meaning his 2022 is likely over before it began. Still getting tests, so they should have firm and final word today. Uh, but this is not a good situation for the Bucks. Really early in training camp. You never want anything like this to happen, ever. But so early in training camp, not in a game. Just really bad news here. Todd Bowles, the new head coach of the Bucks. Recently spoke to reporters and said he is out at least several months, and they will see if he is able to get back this season again. That would be, from my understanding, a long shot, but they are still at least holding out hope. Still some veteran centers on the market, centers on the market, including J.C. Treader, but I would expect the team to take a look at Robert Hainsey, a third-rounder from a couple years ago. He'll probably get the first crack at this job. So what do they do now? So as Ian Rappaport reported, uh, Tampa's options include internal, Robert Hainsey or external, J.C. Treader and uh, Billy Price, etc. Those are good players that are out there still that Tom Brady's got to make a decision about. Does Brady want a veteran who has been in the league or do they go in-house 
Do they go in-house and try to figure out if they can do it from there? I doubt Tom Brady, who can recruit any player in the world, is going to say, hey, let's bring up an undrafted rookie or a player who's been a backup to do this. It's too important of a position. You're losing an excellent champion Super Bowl center, most likely for the year. You cannot let Tom Brady break in some rook or some player that hasn't played and hasn't been into the fire. So expect Brady to be on the phone like he always does and try to find a way to get a great player there. Maybe even get a player out of retirement. Get a player that he's comfortable with because he's Tom Brady. And for the Arizona Cardinals, as we mentioned, uh, here is the comment that they made about taking the claws away from Kyler Murray. Quote, after seeing the distraction it created, we removed the addendum from the contract. It was clearly perceived in ways that were never intended. Our confidence in Kyler Murray is as high as it's ever been, and nothing demonstrates our belief in his ability to lead this team more than the commitment reflected in this contract. Man, the Cardinals completely walked it back, and I got to give them credit for that. They put the contract clause in there because they believe that Kyler Murray doesn't break down enough film, doesn't work hard enough. Kyler Murray and his agent are really pissed off about it. Kyler was smart to go to the media and talk about this. He was offended by this, and after all of that, it gets dropped. So he is in a fantastic situation now going forward. And the commander's owner, Daniel Snyder, testified before Congress for more than 10 hours. Now, remember, this wasn't under subpoena, which means that Snyder had the ability to do certain things that he wouldn't have to do under oath. Snyder spoke before the House Committee on Oversight and Reform for more than 10 hours over Zoom from his yacht. Snyder's deposition was scheduled to begin at 8 a.m. Eastern and didn't end until 6.30 p.m. Eastern. So he voluntarily testified under oath for nearly 11 hours on top of the previous cooperation provided to the committee. That comes in from NBC Chicago, quote, Mr. Snyder fully addressed all questions about workplace misconduct, described the commander's dramatic two-year transformation, and expressed hope for the organization's bright future. And this came weeks after a back and forth and all that posturing between Snyder's legal team and Congress here, and we're going to see what happens here. This is a good faith move by Snyder, but it could be too late, as I've heard, as other owners probably want him out. Reports of sexual misconduct were also among the allegations in the initial bombshell story from the Washington Post. In 2020, the NFL's own investigation ended with a $10 million fine, Snyder giving up day-to-day control of his team to his wife, $10 million, a drop in the bucket, and Snyder's also facing his own allegations where he reportedly paid $1.6 million to settle a sexual misconduct claim against him in 2009. 2009. So this is a really big issue here, and we'll see how this plays out here over the next couple of days. Uh, finally, after going to a couple of practices now, the both practices this week in pads, a little bit of notes here on what I saw and what I think is my big takeaway as we're about to go to Canton. First off, the energy of Josh McDaniels. Gruden had massive energy. Coaches have energy. I just see something different with Josh McDaniels as he's looking out at everything. I really caught that yesterday when he was behind Derek and Derek was running plays and his head was looking to the right, to offensive line, to the right tackle. It was looking to the far wide receiver. You could just tell that this mad scientist was taking it all in. 
And that's what I think is happening here with those first two days and pads before some rest and the trip next week to play Jacksonville. I think Josh McDaniels is taking this all in with Dave Ziegler, seeing who could shed blocks, who's tough, who's watching film, who's showing up early, who's staying late as he's trying to put together this 53-man roster. Uh, the, the comment that he made yesterday, which was really important, he's going to put the best 11 out there. A lot of times coaches say this and they don't mean it. You're going to put the stars out there and the people you pay for and the people that are earning the most money. I don't, I don't get that here. I, I'm sensing Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler are going to put the best players out there, but there's only a couple of position battles where that works to me. That would be right tackle and with what Lester Cotton has done this week and all the positive press he's getting, it clearly looks like as of today, and that could change, he's going to be a starter. Remember, I've said before, I think the Raiders are going to find another offensive lineman on a cutdown. But at this point in time, he looks, and Andre James and Colton Miller and Leatherwood, Leatherwood looks good to me. He looks fit. He looks strong. He's a monster. He's the great wall on the right side. His development's going to be key. Jonathan Abram on the back end, I have no answer. A couple of people tweeted, what did I think? I didn't see enough. I didn't see enough, but again, he is fighting for his job. I don't think so to make the team because Jonathan doesn't play special teams, and early in his career he could do that. He's supposed to be a box safety. He's supposed to be a strong safety. Can he do that? And I don't see a ton of competition behind him, so he has the lead there. Trayvon Merrick, everybody's talking about him. He's beyond his years in maturity. He's the ultimate leader, a future captain of that defense on the back end. Mad Max and Chandler Jones look great. Perryman looks good. I really want to dive into the linebackers next week with all he is to see where the depth is at that position and what's going to happen with Malcolm Coots and Divine Diablo as these are hybrid players for Patrick Graham's defense that's supposed to be a hybrid defense. Special teams looks outstanding from the punter to the kicking game. We all know that. The quarterback in Derek Carr, big other takeaway was Stidham as the backup quarterback. He looks great. He, he's perfect to back up Derek Carr because he knows Josh McDaniel's playbook. We'll see what happens with the third quarterback position. And then as I started off talking about Darren Waller, I really believe that to see the energy of Waller, the professionalism of him, how great a shape he is, how he's running routes with Devontae Adams, gives the Raiders, I think, one of the best one-two punches in all of football. Devontae and Waller with Renfrow mixed in for 90 to 100 receptions, depending on how many footballs there are going to be out there. The Raiders' offense is explosive. And because we're not completely sure about the offensive line yet, that ball's going to come out quicker. Those three-step drops, those quick slants, someone's going to be open early in Josh McDaniels' offense. Somebody is going to be open right at the point of attack, and they're going to get the ball quick if this offensive line needs time to mold and develop. Thanks for a great week, everybody. Monday, we're back with Fred Bolitnikoff. He'll be in Canton. I head out to Canton on Wednesday. We got big shows next week and our coverage on the flagship from Canton, Ohio next week. Uh, Check me out tonight at Virgin Hotels in the lobby from 4 to 6 p.m. If not, have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks, Bobby. On Raider Nation Radio, 920 a.m.